welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. This is a session on diversity in our meetings. My name is Priscilla, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Steve and I will be facilitating this session. We may be having someone else join us. We're not quite sure. Um, But if they come, then we'll introduce them at that time. Um, Each of us will share our recovery on this topic. Then we'll take time to answer questions. Um, We have some cards up here in the front. So if you have a question, just grab a card and hand it in to us so we can read it out for the whole group. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will uh, not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all your cell phones. Let's open with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference, just for today. Uh, the essay purpose is, a, we're Sexaholics Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, <clears throat> strength, and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for essay membership. We're self-supporting through our own contribution. SA is not allied with any good morning uh, with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. <clears throat> Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. And our third panelist has joined us. In your name, Simon. This, and this is Simon, and we're glad to have Simon joining us. Uh, so um, we're, each one of us is going to share for a bit, and then um, we'd love to hear your questions or your experience, strength, and hope around this topic. So who wants to start? Me? Okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm shy. I know. I tell people that, and they don't believe me, but it's true. <clears throat> um my very first meeting was February the 7th, 1993. As I've told some people, I'm older than dirt. Um, I was just in Europe, and I, that was a hard expression to uh, understand or translate. So I said, just tell people I'm old. Um, but I walked into a room full of men, and I thought, what am I doing here? It's all y'all's fault that I'm here. But the men did a newcomers meeting for me. And if you're not familiar with the newcomers meeting, um, what happens is uh, they share just a little bit about what the program is. Uh, 
people that care to share some of their stories. And unlike a regular meeting, you're able to ask questions. So the men shared their stories, and I was like, wow, that I relate to that. It makes sense to me. <clears throat> and for the first time, I felt like I was home. And since that time, I've realized that what better place to learn how to have healthy relationships with people the opposite sex than at a mixed meeting. Um, I have to say a few years after I got sober, some other women came in and they felt a need to start a women's only meeting. And I was really offended. I thought I had to get sober with a bunch of men, so you should too. Um, The main reason was, uh, I think I was upset, is there the women who felt a need to start it. Husbands didn't want them to go to a mixed meeting. And that just really put me uh, over the edge. Um, What I've realized since then is that I'm afraid of women. Um, Because I never felt good enough. But um, for me, mixed meetings are really important. Um, and the reason they're important is um, I didn't really have know how to have relationships with men or women uh, in a healthy way. And several years ago, we had a convention here in Nashville, and I was on a, no, I wasn't on a panel. Harvey Asher was uh, asked the question, what do you do if a woman shows up at your meeting? And he said, he looked at it and he said, um, I'm going to have Priscilla answer that question. And What I can tell you is nobody said, oh, my gosh, you're a woman. You know, I'm sorry, you can't come or you can't be here. Um, Instead, um, I was really fortunate that another woman came in about halfway through, uh, and she wrote me a note and said, I can't stay. Here's my number. Give me a call. And so what is great was for me, I had another woman show up. But we have women that go to meetings in different places. And the great news is uh, more and more groups are learning that they can give that woman uh, the name of another person, another female to call. Um, there are instances where there aren't women or people there don't know. And I think, in my opinion, it's real important just to give women... Um, a phone number to call Seiko. Um, because, at least for me, when I had a problem uh, before I got in recovery, I always called my guy friends. Um, never would have thought about calling a woman, um, but I would call a guy. So it just varies from place to place. But I just know for me that I wouldn't be alive, I don't believe, today if the men uh, had not accepted me in that meeting um, and helped me see that I was not alone. So I, I just am so happy for this topic because I think we all think we're terminally unique. We think we're the most special person in the world and nobody could act like us. And I'll end by saying that I, you know, I've heard the expression, I have a large ego with an inferiority complex. Um, when they did the readings, I thought the guys were adding the female pronouns in there just because I was at the meeting. 
it never occurred to me that they were actually written down. Um, and so it's just, uh, this really is a WE program. And, you know, it says the only requirement uh, to come to SA is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. It doesn't say, you know, if you're a woman or a man or a person of color or a person who's figuring out their uh, sexual orientation. It doesn't say any of that. It just says a desire to stop lusting. And so I'm really grateful for the people who started SA and for all of us who continue that fellowship. And I'll pass it on to one of my fellows. Thanks. 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 You ready? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's the other thing I like about recovery is the honesty you can Hey guys, I'm Steve. I am a recovering sex addict. Hey Steve. Nashville is my hometown. Um, I've been thinking about this topic for a, for a couple of days on how I could approach it, how I think, you know, what my experience is with it. Um, you know, when I first came into recovery, I was pretty much scared of everything and everybody. Right? That's where my coping mechanisms had, had actually led me to. Uh, I felt like I was on the outskirts of humanity. That's essentially how I came in. At that point, um, I can tell you the very first meeting I went to, there was a gentleman named Tony. Um, he was at the portable, and he, he talked about cross-dressing and going into Centennial Park. And I thought, this is not for me. Uh, I think I'll leave. You guys are perverts. Right? <laughs> uh, and... Essentially, I went back out for a couple of years, and it's like alcohol. And I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous as well. Uh, John Barleycorn had its way with me, and so did Lust. Uh, and I came back in a couple of years later, and really didn't care about that anymore. Right. Um, so, when we talk about a diverse fellowship, I guess in my mind, I think there are things that. We've been doing it since we were probably in kindergarten and first grade. My wife brought this to my attention. She goes, you know, when you're in, you learn, it's like, well, what shapes are the same? What colors are the same? Group these into such and such, right? So from a long time ago, we started learning in our education how to, what fits where, this blah, blah, blah. And then throughout our social development, we start getting with peer groups and we exclude and include and na, 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 na. It's a wonderful, wonderful way that we do these things. And I think a lot of times we accumulate prejudices and ideas, not because we were taught it, but because the environment gave it to us, right? And you don't even realize you have it until you're confronted with it, right? Um, and I stumble on those when I come into AA and when I came into SA because I was brought up from an ultra-religious Christian background. Right. And I didn't I wouldn't have said that, you know, you got to be white, middle class, American, Republican. Mm-hmm. But if that's you're going to heaven, if you're there. <laughs> right? Oh, gosh, I'm doomed. That's what I thought. Right. 
I, uh, I didn't think it was a bad thing. It was just what I believed, right? And, it's how, and, and it was how I interacted. I was pretty smug about it, and I didn't know that that was crippling. I just thought that was the way it was supposed to be. But lust and my addiction had a way had a way with me where it just stripped away all of that. It stripped away any bit of humanity that I had. The thing that I like about SA and AA, we don't identify with any of those points, right? In here, there is no male, female. There is no Jew. There is no Muslim, Christian. My experience is I've been in meetings where I've had Wiccans next to me, right? I don't know if you know what that is, right? But, I mean, they're praying their prayers while we're doing our Lord's Prayer. And I thought, my God, if my mom knew what was going on here. (laughs) Yeah. But it was absolutely wonderful. I didn't identify with that point with them. What I identified with, nine times out of ten, is the brokenness and the humanity when they came in, right? The story, I'm sure we've all sat in meetings when somebody just in the middle of the meeting, they start sharing from like the inside, right? And you see people crying and it's like, that's the point where we identify. That's it. It's got nothing to do with a woman. It's got nothing to do with a man. It's got nothing to do with being African-American or Chinese or anything else. We identify at that point. That's why I come back. That's why I keep coming back. I was at a meeting one time, and there was this gentleman who had been homeless for a while. And he was saying, uh, you know, there's no difference between a man under a bridge who decides, you know, tonight, I think I'm just going to leave off the blanket. Or the gentleman in the penthouse who has a gun in his mouth. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that bankruptcy. I can relate to the feeling of, I'm just going to end this. There is no point. There is nowhere to go. I am going to die. This has got me so beat and so demoralized. There's no way out of what's going on. And the best answer I have is to end it. Right? I identify with that got nothing to do with the social economic status it's got nothing to do with what you're in that is the point that i feel like that we identify i still want to revert back to my elementary training and say well that's not a square you shouldn't you know you shouldn't be and i can be judgmental as the next person uh but that's what i like about this program it has given me a place because i, I know that i'm not everybody's cup of tea right some people probably think that I can be abrasive and or whatever they think about me. I don't know, and it's really none of my business. Uh, but I'm glad that there was a place for me, is all I can tell you. I'm glad that it wasn't just set up for white, Republican, Christian guys. Nothing wrong with them. Love them, right? But at the point where I came in, that's not what I needed. Right. Um, funny thing is, and I'll share this real quick. I married a Democrat. Yeah. A, a, and and I'm, not, I'm not talking politics, right? I'm just saying, like the gentleman who was sharing 
uh, yesterday. This is what the program has done for me, man. Right? It has opened my mind to things. And I literally thought it was like, you know, next to Satan, there is the Democrat. <laughs> right? That's what I thought, and that's what I felt, right? And through through the fellowship, I've sat down and I've had, I'm like, these people are amazing, right? Actually, I think they line up more with what I believe than what I think I believe, right? So that's what I'm saying. You know, that's what this fellowship has done for me, and I've got to, Lay aside all of these things that I do, right? The way that I, that it, the ways that I try to make myself safe and feel like I fit in because I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere, right? I excluded myself to the point to where there was just no place I fit in. But anyway, I, I'm, I've shared enough. I love this fellowship. I love that I have met with Buddhists, Muslims, Wiccans. I've met about just every type of religious person that you can imagine. And I have held hands with them and said prayers. And the funny thing is, is we come in here and we talk about absolutely not being able to stop, stop the crap in our head that drives us crazy. Right. And then we have a common solution. Anyway, uh, thank you, guys. That is some of my experience with uh, a diverse fellowship. Hey, thanks. I'm uh, Simon, recovering lustaholic and sex addict. Hey, Simon. <clears throat> Sexually sober by God's grace since 8802. This is a great topic. <laughs> and I was wondering, what are we supposed to talk about? Uh, and actually, um, I was talking... <laughs> yeah, now I know. <laughs> uh, and actually, I, uh, I'd looked at the topic, um, I guess, just before we arrived, and a friend of mine was saying, oh, that were me, hey, yeah, that would." Think about, you know, what comes to mind is the third tradition. And, um, or is the fifth tradition the one that talks about uh, only uh, purposes, uh, uh, primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others achieve sexual sobriety, which, whichever, that's the third tradition, yeah. Yeah. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And then the, um, the essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Now, if I can't focus on any of the other stuff, what am I going to do? I guess I got to come here and deal with my sex addiction and lust, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So, um, as Rasul was sharing, I was thinking about what I've learned uh, from some of the ladies who've come to the SA meetings. And unfortunately, in our group, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and unfortunately, in our group, um, we've never had women stay for a long period of time. And, you know, after the meetings, you know, 
you know, several guys will try to come up and encourage them, you know, just hang around, just hang around, you know, and there'll be, and it's, it's like, and sometimes the timing would be, it's just like, oh, man, just like within a week or so, you know, one lady, she's been there, she's been there, she's been there, and she gets tired, she doesn't come back, and then like the next week we have a lady there and say, where are the women at? You say, you just missed one. <laughs> but what I, what I hear from our, from our sisters in the program is some of the same things. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be cared about. I didn't know how, but, you know, sex was there, and that was the closest I could get. Um, I usually hear this pain underneath that I identify with, this hurt, this not feeling like, like I'm not enough. And I certainly identify with that. What I also hear is I hear very often the same message uh, that I hear from my wife, but it's easier to hear from a sister in SA sometimes. Uh-huh. Things like, why don't you just hold me? Hmm. I'm like, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk. And somehow when I hear our sisters say that it has a greater impact and more meaning, um, and especially talking about things that are important, things that really matter. One of the things I've dealt with is uh, age shame. And in fact, I would, I would check in with that. When I do my check-in, so I'm a lustaholic, sexually sober by God's grace since 8802, currently working step 11. You know, and I talk about what I've done in each step in the last 24 hours. And I say, and I also deal with age shame. And um, I ended up sponsoring a guy who's... Um, maybe 23 years older than me, is, Simon, you need to stop saying that. <laughs> and as, as we talk after the meetings, um, I realize he's right. Why am I ashamed of my age? Well, because I thought by now, sure, I'd have my own private company, multinational, of course, right? Yeah. Right? With, with, with different, um, uh, different facilities all over the planet, and I'd have to go all over the place because I'm important, right? Because important people, they fly places and they got money, right? And then, of course, I have this incredible wife that I actually have. She really is incredible. And, of course, I, you know, we're going to have some kids, and she's going to stay home and raise the kids because that's my view of things, right? And then, because I'm so busy out doing important stuff to, to help the world, and people tell me how wonderful I am, I don't have time to spend at home, right? So she's going to brainwash the kids and tell them, Daddy loves you so much. He loves you so much. But he can't be here right now. He's not doing important stuff. But he loves you so much. And then when I, when I come home, I say, Daddy's home. Oh, they rush. They say, oh, Daddy, we miss you. We love you so much. Oh, we love you so much. Then I realized I got to do that work, right? I got to be there. And uh, Sponsee helped me with that. It's not about um, my age. It's really not about what I thought I would accomplish. It's really about how I thought I would feel when I did that. Since I didn't really know what love is, the closest I can do is having somebody um, help me to feel better. But that's not their job, right? Right? <laughs> Uh, that's not even my wife's job. It's not in the job description, right? And I wouldn't even know how to write that job description. I'm still trying to figure out what it means to love me. But in our diverse fellowship, you get a chance to, uh, you show me that. You show me that. Because when I was a kid, my mother would say nice things about me. It's like, oh, well, that's your job. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. 
But when I have people from all walks of life that I can share with and be honest with and share my shame and they don't say, you know, they're still there for me. I get a chance to learn that. Even babies who can't talk learn that from that experience. I mean, research shows us that when a baby is crying and the parent comes in, that baby, even before they know how to talk, they know I'm important because I needed help. I cried. Somebody came. Even babies know that. When I get a chance to share and people don't vomit or say, oh, man, get out. You're such a pervert. That's letting me know that I'm loved. And the reason that can happen is because um, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting becomes sexually sober. When I hear my friends uh, sharing the fellowship who are Christian, they talk about the, the shame associated with that. Um, I mean, who are Jewish, they talk about the shame associated with that. It's like, man. And as a Christian, when I talk about that, it's not the shame associated with that. I identify with that. And they're not talking about religion. They're just saying, this is who I am as a person. I have all these different roles, right? I'm, I'm a person of this faith tradition. I'm a son. I'm a, a, a father. I'm a sibling. And as part of my experience, this other thing has an impact, right? I mean, I can identify with that. I mean, I, I identify with the shame of being an officer at church and people, you know, putting the money in the basket and stuff. I'm like, man, she is gorgeous. Oh, I'm supposed to be praying. That's right. Lord, <laughs> now uh, forgive us our sins. We forgive those who trespass against us. Man, she is hot. Uh, lead us not into temptation. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know? <clears throat> and literally, that's the war that's going on in my head. I'm like, eh, yes, lead me not into temptation. <laughs> And when I hear other people share with that, share about their experience, like their struggle, it's like, wow, me too. Me too. And I hear people talk about um, inferior, um, you know, man, I wish I had as much money as so-and-so and I don't have as much money. And people talk about sloth and procrastination. It's like, wow, me too. Why? Because it impacts me. Anything that causes me emotional, um, to be emotionally disturbed is a threat to my sobriety. Why? Because I want to escape. How do I escape? I act out. Right? I act out. (laughs) So why do I talk about this? Because it leads me to act out. It took me years to figure that out. That acting out isn't about acting out. The sex very often isn't even about the sex. Not until I got sober and really healthy, it wasn't even about the sex. It was like, I need to escape. I feel worthless. I feel lonely. Nobody loves me. I don't know how to love me. Uh, I don't know how to do this, but I knew how to do this thing. Called sex. Let, let me do that so I won't have to feel the emptiness of my self-hatred. And people help me with that. And, uh, wow. And as, a, uh, as an African-American, one of my experiences, um, like walking around stores and realizing I'm being followed, I'm like, man, why am I being followed? You know, I'm just shopping, you know. And it became more, things have become more pronounced now that I have children, right? And, wow. And I remember um, my way to a meeting. I was taking my daughter to practice. On my way to a meeting, I got pulled over. And I could hear my heart pounding. And I'm thinking, and I called my wife. I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to die? Am I going to die? I mean, that's my fear. Am am, am I going to die? 
I'm like, and, and, and my heart is pounding and my thoughts are racing. And I'm like, wow. And, you know, the officer pulls up and, uh, uh, on, on the side of the car. And, of course, I'm watching out of the mirror. I said, oh, God, don't make any sudden movement. Like, but keep your hands here. You know, you know this, this is what you do, you know. And um, I said, uh, can I help you, officer? And she says, and I'm watching her hands, right? <laughs> and uh, I said, can I help you, officer? And she says, uh, she said, yeah. Um, your tag on your car. Uh, a couple of weeks behind, it's expired. I said, oh, yes, yes. And then uh, I forget what I told her. I was, gonna, I was supposed to take it in, and I didn't. It's my wife's car, actually, which I typically don't drive. But, ha lucky me. That day I was driving it, right? And she said, um, she said, okay, well, give me your license and registration. And I said this to her. I said, uh, my registration's in the glove compartment. She said, okay. And I said, my registration's in the glove compartment. She said, okay. I said, I have to reach over to the glove compartment and get my registration out of the glove compartment. She said, okay, I heard you. I said, okay, I'm getting my registration out of the glove compartment. I'm get, you know, she said, I heard you. I gave her the registration. She said, okay, thank you. She got my registration. And of course, same thing with the wallet, right? It's like, the wallet's in my back pocket. I have to get my wallet out of my back pocket. She said, Okay. I said, no, I, I, it's, it's in this pocket over here. I got to get it. And I gave her that stuff. And then um, she went back to the car. And um, I'm breathing slightly easier now because it's not over yet, right? And then uh, she comes back because, of course, you know, she's running the plates to see if, you know, got any warrants or anything like that. And there's no warrants or anything. And she said, okay, well, you know, go on and get that taken care of. Have a good day. I said, okay, thank you. And I'm watching out the mirror. She goes back to the car. Okay, she's in the car. Okay. She said, oh. and then um, I wait for a moment for my heart to stop racing. And then I calm down. And I think to myself, where was I headed before I got pulled over? It's like, I don't remember. And I called the missus, headed to the meeting, and got to the meeting. And I was thinking, man, I shouldn't share this at the meeting. And I thought to myself, with all this emotional stuff that's going on, if, if, if I don't share it, I'm afraid that, uh, that that's a lot for me, okay? I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'll, I'll, I'll act out or act in. And in my mind, although he wasn't with me, is I'm thinking about my son. It's like, wow. Um, so I shared it at the meeting. And the cool thing about that is, and I just shared my experience. I checked in like I normally do. And if I have sexual stuff, I check that in. If I'm mad at the missus, I check that in. I check everything in, okay? Because for me, if, I, if it has strong emotional content and I don't share it, if I don't own my story, my story owns me. And if I try to suppress it, it will come back and it will bite me. And I never know how and I never know when. It's like a kid with a tantrum and I just can't afford to take that chance. So share it with me and... Um, it was a safe place to do that. Didn't make a big deal out of it. Just shared my experience. It's like, I got that out. I don't have to be like, you know, uh, recovery is a great place to be. And uh, ended up sponsoring a guy who's a sheriff. <laughs> and, you know, people are just people. Police officers, they're just doing a job. Um, People who are older than me tell me, you don't have a right to be ashamed of your age. Look how old I am. <laughs> He's just doing what he was supposed to be done. My teachers in school that gave me a hard time, they're there to help me. 
Um, I'm rambling now, but um, recovery is a great place to be. Okay, I think we're supposed to have taken some questions. I'm not sure what our time is like. We have almost half an hour because oh, wow. we go to 10, 15. Okay. All right. Uh, so questions, experience, strength, and hope. Yeah. If you'll come up here. Yeah. Because we're it's being recorded. Um, well, you know what? Why don't I hand him that mic and... We can kind of keep it closer up here. Does that come? I think it pops out. It looks like it. We're not supposed to fool with it. Oh, we're not? Oh, okay. So, yeah, just go write it down. Okay. Do you want me to just say it for you? Yeah, and then if you'll just. Or I could talk, because I'll talk. Let me do this. Anybody else have questions? I can hand out cards and I can bring them up. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. You got cards? Okay, here we got. Okay. Do you have index cards? Uh, yeah, right down there. Uh, the the question um, is, Priscilla, in your experience, what's been some of the best ways to help women feel comfortable at their first meeting? We've had multiple women come through our fellowship, but none stay. We can see and feel how uncomfortable they are. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's any one way. Um, other than, well, a couple things I would say. One is um, welcome whoever it is, but I would encourage you to not have just one guy go talk to that person. I think it's important for like a couple guys. Um, men and women are predators, not all, but can be. So I think it's important for not just one guy to go talk with, with a woman. Um, and, you know, and if that woman leaves like right after the meeting, that's all we can do. And the other thing is to pray for her. Just pray. Um, because it's scary. And I think, I used to think it was um, that I was going to make men feel uncomfortable. And my sponsor said they get to talk to their sponsor. Uh, the other thing is you might, uh, if you don't have women, is perhaps make a call to Seiko so you could come up with a list of women and their phone numbers to give to that person. Uh, just so you have it on hand uh, so that um, I know some folks in Georgia ask me if they could give my phone number to women that come in. And I say, sure. You know, I think that's a really helpful way. It's just to be able to have a phone number um, and just to talk to them. Um, okay, let's see. <laughs> um, how do I work on not being in my head about my shame or being uh, booted? I think it says uh, booted and instead being part of. Um, talk. Don't just sit there in your head. Share at the means. Even if you don't know 
what to say is just say, I'm Priscilla. I'm feeling really scared. I don't know what to do. Matter of fact, I had my early on, someone said to me, just even if you just say your name, say it out loud. I'm Priscilla. I'm here. And I don't know what to say. That's all you have to do. You guys want to comment on that instead of being in your head? Oh, okay. Um, Here's the... How do you get out of your head and become part of? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, Simon Silver, recovering lustaholic. And the thing that comes to me, to mind for me in terms of getting out of my head is that when I am in my head, very often it's about, it is about shame. And what shame says is that, shame says that I am not worthy of love, belonging, connection, compassion. That's what shame says to me. And shame is like looking at a microscope and I see this one thing that I did wrong and I don't see anything else. And if I'm willing to be courageous enough to share that thing, then it's kind of like instead of looking at one tiny character defect or whatever, it's like the view opens up and I see, oh, wow, I do have you know, attributes and you know, positive stuff, just like everybody else. But I have to get it out there. I have to be willing to say it. And that, that's my part. And when I say it, then um, it, it, it kind of fades away. Uh, Anything? Any other? And then I'll um, address this uh, question here. I guess there are a couple things. I wanted to share on the thing. I'm not a woman. Don't have experience with being a woman. So, um, but it's something that breaks my heart that when I see women come in and the stories they tell themselves, right? Same thing I did. Honestly, what I found for me is when the pain got so bad, it got so bad of where I was at, I reached out and embraced something new, right? And I discarded all the stories that I tell myself to keep myself safe didn't make a difference because I was the amount of damage that was going on with the way that I was living was intolerable. Um, I, in the fellowship, and Priscilla was around, we used to have a lot of women that would come back and forth through the meetings. I, uh, and I loved having the women in the meetings. I did. When they started talking about sex, I was like, oh, my God, you guys have sex. You think about it. You know? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, women, they don't ever think about it. This is the stuff I'm telling myself. This is why I'm in the room. I have all kinds of ideas and beliefs that aren't real, and I will build up fortresses around that, right? And then I actually get to sit in meetings, and I get to talk to women, and I'm able to be friends with women, right? I can say prior to coming to SA, there was no such thing as a woman who was a friend. It was going somewhere. (laughs) It was It was going to end up where we're going to have sex or... I'm just not interested altogether. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. You know, that was always part of it. But inside the fellowship of SA, I learned to do that. Uh, And I can assure you that the men are just as as scared when the women walk in, right? It's not just... 
the women who walk in and, oh, you know, we're being prayed for. I assure you that every man in there is going, you know, because that, that's, that's what we do. Um, what was that other question? Oh, being part of. Being part of and, and shame. And, you know, I've had great sponsorship. One of the very first things, tell me what you don't want to tell me. Right? We start off with my fifth step. First off, tell me what you don't want to tell me. Tell me what's not on that paper. Right? And that's what I did. And and I, I would go to meetings, and I would talk to my sponsor, and he'd be like, you need to go to a meeting, you need to talk about that. I'm like, man, did you just hear what I just said to you? Right? He, you need to talk about it. And I would go in, and I would talk about it, and the shame, it would decrease. Last thing I'll share is, I mean... We're all in our heads, right? You're not unique, first off, right? You're not unique. There was a saying that I heard a long time ago and that it stuck with me, first off, because it was funny, but secondly, because I believe it's true. It says, you know, you keep coming back, and one day you're going to hear a loud pop. And you know what that's going to be? I mean, you know, everybody's sitting on the edge of the seat. What's that? That's going to be your head coming out of your butt. because that's how we live right you got to keep coming back and you got to keep coming back and you got to keep coming back and you got to because for me there was no it wasn't like well okay I'll stop this but I got this other thing I can do it was like this crap had to work or I was going to die that's where I was at so I had to work this thing and then I found gradually I was able to get out of my head you know, when miracles started happening. So I encourage you, if you want to get out of your head, share about that stuff. Risk it. What's the worst they can do? They're not going to kick you out. We don't have any SA police, you know. <laughs> Just share it. Thanks. Um. Maybe, maybe what I'll do is kind of, um, I have four here. Maybe I'll kind of talk about all four and then kind of hand them. Okay, that, that's good. Of, of, rather than one question and we three do it in another question. That's good. Um, this question is, how has SA and the people you've met expanded your view of the world? Wow. Recovery is a great place to be. I've got a chance to meet so many cool people. And what happens is, because I'm focused on my recovery... Because I'm focused on that, I'm able to, God's allowed me to see some things I never would have seen before. And it's kind of like when, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's almost like that hidden thing that, um, that my parents hide that they don't want me to see. Like the Christmas stuff, it's like, don't go up in the attic, son. Do not go up in the attic. Don't go up there. It's like, oh, there must be something up in the attic. Right? And I've come to recovery, and it's like, it's almost like um, the really cool stuff is the stuff that happens after I get sober. I mean, that's one of the great gifts. How has SA and the people I've met expanded my view of the world? It's expanded my view of the world in the sense that... Um, when I go to other places, I realize the commonality. 
But it's also shrank my world to a degree. I don't, because I honestly don't believe. <laughs> this is just my perspective, right? Take what you like and leave the rest, right? We aren't that different. We really aren't. And now in recovery, what I think, it's, it's almost like God has rewrite, rewritten some of my past memories, right? Some of my issues, my prejudices and stuff like that. It's kind of like, wow, we all got the same stuff. I sponsor people from other countries. I have friends in the fellowship, who, uh, male and female, who are in like all lines of work, right? Uh, Republicans, Democrat, independents, people who are janitors, and people who are, you know, doing sophisticated jobs, people who are poor, and people who are extremely wealthy. Uh, one sponsor, I was working with one sponsor, and, um, I was working with one sponsor, he's not in North Carolina, um, working with one sponsor, and we're, uh, going through his, okay, yeah, uh, going through his, uh, his, uh, had him working on his fourth step, and one of the things I do is I have, uh, have people to write down, you know, what their, um, what the addiction has cost them, right? So there's the, like, financial cost, you know, I lost a job, I did this, but also other costs, right? Um, I lost a family. I lost a relationship with my kids. They don't talk to me anymore. And uh, financially, um, he lost over $2 million. And he wanted to stop counting at that point because it was too depressing. So I met all people from all walks of life. And it's just like, man, we aren't that different. We really are. So that's uh, one. Um, okay. As a female, moved to another state. Uh, new meeting every day. Men's only. And... Uh, asked about uh, a meeting that I could attend, at least one week, meeting a week, and they said no. Ouch. I'm, I'm thankful you're still here. I'm thankful you're still here. Um, I had an uncle who did not get sober in AA because he was in Louisiana, and he went to a meeting, and he told me they said I could not attend that meeting, and I had, and when there was a a different meeting where there might be a few African Americans say, you gotta go through the other door. I said, what? And I, I was I was angry. A bunch of blankety blanks, alcoholics, you know. Um, but I see why I didn't go back. So I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful you have the courage to say that. Um, and this is just my opinion that anybody, um, any group who is not that is not willing to allow women to be there is not only sorely missing out, but also stunting their own recovery. I mean, women live in the real world, right? What am, what am I going to do? Say, oh, I can't go to work. There's a woman there. Yeah. I mean, uh, so for, for me, that's just me personally. Um, um, if it were me, I would just hope that I'd be at a point where, you know, women could be there. And if I have a problem, you know, what better place to work my program than in the meeting, right? Because I'm going to see women everywhere. So... Um, that's my two cents about that. Um, uh, for someone who refers to, okay, from someone who refers a lot of people to SA meetings, um, how would you respond to um, spouse betrayed spouse or betrayed spouse who has fears, worries, anxiety about their husband slash wife attending mixed meetings? Okay, I think that's a reasonable fear. It's a reasonable fear if you don't know about SA. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the, uh, the program, though, the best assurance I can give my wife is the change that she'll see in me if I'm working my program. 
right? Because I could lie about being at a meeting. I could go out and just hang around somewhere for an hour, right? I could lie about other things, right? Um, I can't lie about my phone ringing and her every now and then overhearing some conversations, right, that are recovery-based. Um, I can't lie about my disposition, who I am, how I interact with her in a, in a loving, kind, thoughtful way, the way I interact with my kids. That's part, that's part of who I am. And, and the other part is just surrender for me because, quite frankly, I can't work anybody else's program. If my spouse wants to act out, she's going to act out, okay? So let's say I'm the Anon and she's the addict. I mean, it's going to happen. What I can do is uh, do my part and pray and uh, surrender. So one of my group feels that the white book is uh, a pseudo-Christian language, is therefore elevating Christianity above other religions. Okay, they're also uncomfortable with the um, authority was, all right, ordained Christian minister. Uh, can you help this person? Okay. And for me, it was, uh, for me, it was just, just logical. It's just uh, what I was doing wasn't working. And one of the things that really bothered me and this is just my personal experience. The, the people I've seen during the time I've been in the program that have the most difficult time staying sober, the most difficult time staying sober are people who have one or more of these characteristics. Um, individuals who are very religious, no matter what the religion is, people who are very religious have a tough time staying sober in this program. A tough time getting sober and a tough time staying sober. Individuals who are very intellectual, you know, they've got uh, at least one college degree, right? Uh, the, the intellectuals. Um, uh, those who are very young have a tough time. And God forbid, you know, you got like all three of those, right? And when I first came, my, my sponsor didn't think I would stay. He, he, he didn't. Um, so, so, because uh, my thinking was, oh, well, I'll read the book. What's wrong with these people? You know, you read the book, right? Right? Just read the book, figure it out. And then, of course, I'm thinking, well, hey, you know, I'm an ordained officer at my church. I got this God thing down. And uh, what's the third one I said? Young. And see, I hadn't, I was fairly young. I hadn't destroyed my life yet, right? You got people at the meeting, they destroyed like two or three marriages. Like, pfft, I'd never do that, right? Well, I was headed that way. And the self-deception is, is, is the big thing. And what helped me the most was there was a guy in our group. Um, I wasn't in North Carolina. But I got sober before I got to North Carolina. But anyway, there's a guy in my, in my group. And he was agnostic. And he had sobriety. And I didn't. And I was angry. And I come at the meeting. I try not to show it. I just angry. God, I'm one of your. I, you know, I'm one of your guys. You know, I, I I've studied my 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 religious literature. I know this. I memorized this. How could he be sober and I ain't sober? And every week he's like, Well, I don't know if God exists or not, but here's what I'm doing. <laughs> the audacity of him to get sober. It's like he needs to slip just so yeah, I can feel better. <laughs> I just started doing what he was doing. I just started doing what he was doing. And then, quite frankly, I started questioning things in terms of my faith tradition. You know, because he don't even believe, but he's sober. I think I believe, but do I really believe? If I really believe, why am I not sober? So that's my two thoughts on that. If it, if it works, I, I, I'm going to use it. It doesn't, I don't care who wrote it, okay? <laughs> so, um, if it'll keep me sober, then hey. Um, I'll do that, and I'll figure out the other stuff later. So, um, you may want to comment on.
Someone in my group feels that the white book uses pseudo-Christian, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that. Christian, but... Uh, well, if you have something else to share on that, it's No, I think... I was dying, is all I can tell you. I didn't care what it came from. I just had to have an answer. That's, that's all I can tell you. If there was something else... I don't care what the heck it was, I'd have done it. Does it make a difference? I mean, like I use drugs. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted the effect. You know what I'm saying? I wanted the effect. I wanted to stop hurting. I wanted the pain to go away. I wanted to stop destroying my life and destroying everybody else's life around me. It makes no difference where it comes from, in my opinion truth is if you want to get wrapped around the axle this is one of 500 things that you'll get wrapped around the axle with if you're going to get wrapped around the axle with i can always find reasons why something is messed up right for me it's in, for me i needed to find a way to stop seeing prostitutes and wanting to put a gun in my mouth every day i didn't care where it came from it was apparent my religious beliefs weren't working worth the crap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had to embrace something new. And my feeling is if, if you think that there is something else out there better, then try it. My sponsors told me to do that. Try it. If you think there is another brand or another version of, do it. It might work. It might. I don't know. For me, I have found that embracing the SA fellowship and the principles of AA have enhanced my life. Actually, there is like the AA big book. There's no conflict, right? There's no conflict in it. But you got to get to that point. Because if you want to get wrapped around the axle about it, get wrapped around the axle about it. If you think there's something else, try it, you know. It's okay. You might find something better. Uh, for someone who refers to, to a lot of people in the essay, I mean, how would you respond to spouse or betrayed spouse who has fears, worries about anxiety about their husband, wife, attending? Um, this was my wife at times. Because um, I'm going to a meeting. <laughs> that's, that's all I can tell you. You know, because... I was sober seven years before I got married, right? Uh, I, this was just part of my life. Now, I did rearrange my relationships, right? And I asked and I sought counsel of um, sponsors and I talked to people about that kind of stuff. I'd like to say that I'll just completely disregard my wife's input. But anybody who's married for any amount of time knows that you can't do that and stay married. Um I reassure my wife that I love her. And that is only through SA, right? You don't understand. Well, maybe you do understand. I'm not the guy who's going to be faithful. All right. I'm not that guy. We've been married for 15 going on 16 years. That is nothing but a miracle, right? I have it. That is nothing but a miracle. My wife doesn't believe in SA or believe in this stuff, but it makes no difference what she believes in. 
right? I got to do what I got to do. So I don't know. Sometimes your spouse just to have has to have their fears. I don't know. My goal is not to make my wife feel comfortable all the time, right? My goal is to stay. And if I am actually working the program of Sexaholics Anonymous and following those principles, I assure you she will feel more loved than she's ever felt loved in her life. She will. Talk to your sponsor about it. In my opinion, how has essay and the people you've met expanded your view of the world? Oh, it's amazing. I had, oh my God. I told you what my worldview was. My worldview was white, middle-class, Christian, Republican. That's it. That was my worldview. And if anything was different than that, well, it was just clearly wrong, right? That was my worldview. I have come in here and met some of the most amazing people in my life who I would put their character up against anybody that I have met at a church or anywhere else. I have. I have I've met people who've gone to prison and they are striving to be honest, caring individuals. And I would put that person up against almost anybody who I've met outside. I love you guys. You guys are amazing. You inspire me. You give me hope. You make me think that there is a reason for me to be alive. My worldview has, I didn't have a worldview. I don't, I, I don't know what view I had, but it was like, I heard that <laughs> a couple, a, a couple times, right? So I'm, all I can say is I love you guys. You are amazing people, amazing people. And you are not the trash that goes on in between your ears. And I don't think we say that enough around here. The garbage that goes on in between your ears, you just need to absolutely dismiss. Say, thank you for your input, but I'm going to choose something else today. Right? You are wonderful, amazing people. And I'm proud to know every single one of you. You don't need to hide in shame. Thanks. I'm going to wrap up with one more comment because, you know, I have to keep talking. Um, And I appreciate everyone's questions and um, comments and being on the panel with with these two guys. Um, Talk about the worldview. I I had the most incredible opportunity to, um, I was invited to go to Europe and I did workshops in um, Germany, Belgium, Ireland, Russia, and Poland. And I tell you that not to brag on myself, but to tell you that I walked in those rooms and I was just in a room just like this. It, it didn't matter. Um, one funny quick story is I really kind of dreaded to go into Russia because I just always perceived them as pretty cold, uh, not very expressive people. Well, that's not true. They are funny, as can be. Um, one of the first uh, people that asked a question was uh, a young man And he said, I have three questions. How old are you? How long have you been sober? And are you married? (laughs) And um, Lawrence, some of you might know Lawrence, told me that Russians are very blunt and will ask questions, but then they're very, you know, just go along with you. So I told him, and um, he said, well, why aren't you married? And I said, well, you know, I'm pretty comfortable and happy. Um, And not long after that, another guy said, well, you should get married. 
And I said, well, are you available? <laughs> um, so the one difference I will say that uh, in Europe, the countries of people I was around, uh, there seems to be even more pressure to be in a relationship. Um, I don't know. There is obviously some of that here in the States, but I, I don't know what it is. But I think it's hard if you're single. I feel a lot of shame, speaking of age shame. I do feel age shame, particularly in the fact that I've been sober a while and I'm not married or in a relationship. And what my old brain tells me is I'm not good enough. No man wants to be with me. You know, I'm not pretty enough, smart enough, you know, whatever junk. But the reality is um, I'm a good and worthwhile person. And each one of you is, I don't know everybody, I see some really familiar faces. As a matter of fact, I see somebody uh, that was sober in the program for about five years before I came in. And uh, a group of us got together, uh, did a book study. And he and his uh, fiance invited all of us to stand up with them at their wedding. Um, and so that's the kind of love and friendship that we all build uh, in this amazing program. So the worldview is there are essay meetings all over the world. Uh, one of my sponsees was asked to do uh, be on a call with women in Iran. Um, and, you know, my gosh, talk about, there's uh, somebody last night mentioned uh, India, um, so everywhere just about we've got fellowship and we continue to grow. So I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for everybody here. And so uh, I would just like for us to end and say that anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.